You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Tad Williams. His newest book is The Dirty Streets of Heaven. Thank you for joining me, Tad. Thank you, Rick. Nice to be here. You did a fabulous job digging into hell in your second book. Uh, that seems to bear the influence of Dante and modern horror to a, to a great degree. And you have so much fun with your monsters and your descriptions of horror. It's I can hear the glee in your voice as you read it and as you must have been doing when you were writing it. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I, one of the great things about being a fantasy or you know fantasy science fiction writer is you get to dabble in so many areas. So you can be as serious as you want to, but you also get to write monsters, which is just great fun. And um, in this case, you know, I get to take a shot at at one of the great you know literary and theological um, ideas in the history of uh, of human consciousness, which is hell. So of course, I just had a field day. Uh, I'd like you to talk about how you developed your. I guess, a theory of hell before you started writing about hell because it's interesting. We can hear the filter of Bobby Dollar's noir voice imposed uh, upon, it's like uh, uh, Raymond Chandler strolling through hell with uh, with Dante. Well, that's kind of the idea is to is to, to create that kind of odd tension between this very modern voice and this very really medieval place and I mean as you get into the, uh, the uh, as you get into the, the literal depths of hell I mean it's horrifying it is not funny parts of it are funny just because they're so bleak and Bobby's responses are pretty much what anybody's would be in those situations but it, it was really fun to work with that of like a guy going a guy much like you or I kind of going slowly crazy in this horrible situation where he has to be well he has to be a hero in a sense just to be there I really like the uh, uh, theological notions that you develop through these books that underlie them, and it's really great to see them kind of bubble up through. And I'm wondering how um, organized the religion behind your books is. Well, what I did is I approached I approached it very much the way I would approach any kind of world building, in the sense that uh, I brought the the sort of the rigor of, of pseudoscience to it. Uh, I don't claim it's science, but it's pseudoscience in the way that we SF and fantasy writers do it. And I tried to make a place that although it doesn't have the normal law, physical laws, because it, like heaven, my hell does not exist in and under the material world. It's somewhere separate. But in the same way as with the heaven in these books, it's very much something that has to work. It has to feel like for the reader, whatever their own personal religious beliefs are, that I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but this is close enough to what I'm familiar with that I'm willing to grant it. And then it has to work as a locale. So whether it's hell or heaven, it has to have rules, it has to have things that the reader can feel they understand enough so that they don't feel cheated when, um, you know, when Bobby has to find his way out of a situation. You can't just come up with a brand new rule that nobody knew about before. So there has to be a certain rigor involved with creating a place like this. Plus, of course, it just has to feel like hell, you know. I mean, you have to, it has to have all of that, that, that seriousness and that, that, the, that rules-based setting, but then it also just has to be awful beyond belief. And in fact, I, uh, the stuff that I've read so far is by 
far not the worst stuff that happens in hell. It just gets really ugly in places. I, I would like you to talk about the the kind of uh, grand sweep of these novels because I can feel there's a real grand sweep that ha- that's that's happening here, and the the kind of tension that you create between that and Bobby's voice, I think that makes it so much more interesting and real. Well, that's very much the idea behind these books. Is I, I love the 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 big ideas. I love world building. Um, I, I've been wanting to do something for years with this idea of a kind of ongoing cold war between heaven and hell, and some poor schlub who's caught in the middle of it. Um, but the, the other thing, too, as you mentioned, is that he's, he's, he's not what you would normally expect. He's not the kind of, of um, you know, he's not Dante, he's not Virgil, he's not Hercules, he's not Orpheus, he's none of the people who traditionally go to hell. He's, he's a guy. He's an angel, yes, but he's basically a guy. He's been living an earth life for years. And so um, what I wanted to do, again, was give the reader that quick quick feeling of, like, yeah, I'd think the same thing, you know, and I would be equally worried about having to step into that situation. And yeah, I would be terrified also in that situation. So um, it was great fun for me to write a character closer to myself, not having to to filter it through, you know, pseudo medieval ways of speaking and, and ways of thought and stuff like that. But to write somebody who, even though technically he's an angel, you know, he likes jazz, he likes blues, he, he lives in the Bay Area, you know, he's a normal guy, he drinks a little too much, you know, and, and he's funny, or at least I think he is. So, you know, it, it's very much that, that juxtaposition of those two strange things that I enjoy. How much of the, the grand arc did you know going in, and how much do you have yet to build out? Uh, well, unlike a lot of my books, uh, this is actually meant to ultimately be more like series fiction. And by series fiction, I mean things where you can pick up a book in the middle without having to read the entire thing. That's the plan for Bobby. There's going to be some continuity in the first three books because that's one big major thing that has to get the whole thing started. But if I have my way, then the, the books that come afterwards will be pretty much like crime fiction, detective fiction, where you can pick one up without necessarily having read everything else. Um, whereas my books that are more familiar to people, my big epics like the Dragonbone Chair books or Otherland or Shadow March, very much they're single stories told over several volumes where I know the ending when I start. I have some ideas about where Bobby is going to come to rest, but I have no idea if I'm going to write a couple of more books about him or ten more books about him, and I intend to find that out as I go. So you're going to go for a casebook format. I love a casebook format. Well, that's what I'm hoping. I, I, I kind of would like to get in a situation where I could write one of Bobby's books because they're quite fast by my standards. They take less than half a year. Where I could write one of his books and then be working on some other things. And I don't have to worry so much about there's readers saying, oh my God, we've been left with a cliffhanger you know, um, whereas I could, I'd like to do them more like, you know, like uh, John D. McDonald or, or, you know, something like that where, you know, you can just pick the book up and enjoy it when it comes because it's starting a new story. Travis McGee in Hell. Yeah, exactly. Travis McGee is a great favorite. Talk about developing this prose voice because it's a really different prose voice for you. And it sounds I can just hear how much fun you're having. Oh, that's I'm glad that it sounds like it because I certainly am. Yeah, it's it's very much a voice. He's not me. Bobby is not me. He he does. He's not as uh, 
hooked on using big words as I am, and he's he's much more of a drinker and a carouser than I am, and uh, he's he's a little more narrow in his musical tastes, among other things. And he's also much more kind of in love with the image of being, you know, uh, the, the 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 dark, mysterious guy on his own. As one of his friends points out, you know, you and all this, you know, this gumshoe stuff that you're into. Yeah, which he tries to defend himself about, but it's he can't really. It's true. He does kind of like that that Sam Spade, you know, or uh, 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 you know Lou Archer or Philip Marlowe kind of feeling, and that's kind of what he romanticizes about himself. But so it's great fun to to write that because it's it's close at least in the way that I approach things, which is that like life is so freaking weird sometimes. If you can't laugh, you might as well give up, and that's very much Bobby's character. Uh, as an angel, he's constantly has <clears throat> more information than humans and more power than humans and more perceptions than humans, and you build that into the prose. Does that come after in revision? Do you think, or do you like write it out first and kind of get through the voice and get down the character and then go back and say, oh, maybe we need a little bit more? Uh, jazz here, I guess is a word. Well, sometimes, yeah. I mean, that's certainly part of a rewriting process. But one of the things with him is that I pegged him very early on, literally at the beginning of the first book, so that everybody knows this guy may be an angel. Therefore, he is, as you said, maybe stronger and, and more knowledgeable about, certainly about, you know, things having to do with the, the other world than, than you and I. But he's not a very important angel. And right away, he gets in bad with some much more important people on the other side. He, he makes an enemy of a really serious power hitter of a, of a demon, um, an, arch, an archduke of hell. And so, so even though he is technically more capable than we are, he's up against people that, you know, is, uh, you, you and I would never have to deal with. I mean, these people are the equivalent. It's like getting into a, into a scrap with, um, you know, like a billionaire who also happens to be immortal and can summon demon hordes. And I mean, you know, these, are, these people are out of as much, pretty much out of his range as they are out of ours. So, so he never gets the advantage of being smarter or, or stronger than anybody because he's always, you know, stacked up against people who are far, far stronger than him. Are we going to see Mark Twain in hell? Uh, you know, I, I've always... One of the things that's, that, that, that's interesting about uh, these books is that Bobby has said that the sentencing standards have changed and that heaven has kind of got a slightly more liberal standard now of who goes to hell. As a matter of fact, he says at some point, I think, you know, as far as I know, they don't care about who you are or what your sexual orientation or anything is, or even if you were an atheist, as long as you led a good life. Um, so whether Mark Twain is actually in hell depends on where the, 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 when the standards started to change. But there definitely are a few, more than a few cameos in this second book that take, takes place in hell. There are more than a few cameos, although only a few of the characters are going to be immediately apparent who they are. And others, I will expect readers to track them down and go, is this based on a real person? You know, is this some real human person who, you know, now is in hell? And yes, several of them are, so... Are we going to see heaven, which seems like it would be incredibly difficult to write? Well, we see heaven a good, 
a goodly amount in the first book, not as much in the second book, because Bobby is spending most of the second book in hell. But heaven is a very strange place. Bobby is an outsider. It's, it's a place where everybody is sort of happy. It, to me, it almost feels like it's kind of like a cult. Now, that's because it's filtered through Bobby's feelings. And Bobby, as he says in this second book, Happy Hour in Hell, he tells his, uh, his, his friend at one point, you know, I, I, you know, the difference between going to heaven and sitting in a bar getting drunk is I have a choice to get drunk when I'm sitting in a bar, whereas when I go to heaven, they make me be happy. You know, and so heaven is this kind of place when when you're there, you just sort of feel like, yeah, everything's great. And then when Bobby, at least, leaves, he's like, I don't like that. The fact that I was not myself, that I was not my normal, cynical, suspicious self as much as I am most of the time. So we'll see more of heaven because, of course, he's not only in trouble with the people on the opposition and, you know, the people from hell, he's also in trouble with the people on his own team because he's a loose cannon. So he is getting more and more involved in the the ugliest part of heavenly politics. So, yeah, there'll be plenty of heaven in the stories ahead. Now, uh, I'm wondering about your, uh, you have all the e-rights to your books. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what you might do with the Bobby Dollar books and just to uh, talk about where you see e-rights e-publishing going for you. I'm not actually sure at the moment that we do have the e-rights to Bobby Dollar because the publishers have changed about that. But in general, we tried, starting back in the early 90s, I tried to hang on to as many electronic rights as I could. And so far, it's been a mixed bag because, of course, it's one thing to have the, the rights to something. It's another thing to do the publishing. From what I have experienced, the whole area is still in flux. I think eventually what you will get is a scaled-down version of the, the, the regular publishing companies, but you will also get a, a swirling kind of cloud of service-oriented um, so kind of single-issue or single-focus companies that will step in when a writer wants somebody to help them with literally publishing or with art direction or with marketing or, you know, things, you know, especially marketing. Um, and these will be more kind of things that you grab a hold of and fit together in, in what your needs are. And if you're still working with a mainstream publisher, you may not need as much of that help. But if you're self-publishing, you'll need a lot of it. And I think that's kind of where things are going. Sort of a la carte uh, deli style. Yeah, I think so. Because it's certainly, when you, when you think about most of the way that publishing was put together... Standard publishing was based around the idea that a book is a physical object and a bunch of books are big heavy things that you have to sh store and ship and you know literally physically you know, print up and there's all those kind of proximity issues built into them which is why the entire publishing industry revolved around New York where you could bicycle message bicycle messenger over a manuscript in the afternoon or you know you could go and 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 make an appointment to go see your your uh, binders or whatever and talk to them that is not going to be as much the case and so i expect there will be a less geographically oriented kind of a publishing industry where people will be doing what they do well and it doesn't really matter since there won't be any there there as far as where the books are coming for you know in the, in the old days when somebody said well if you where is your book come from you'd go well it comes out of my brain and then I send it to New York and a bunch of people publish it and market it and do all that stuff well there is no longer going to be the need for a New York step because these 
most of them will not be physical objects that need to be warehoused and printed and printed and warehoused and shipped from one place. I've been speaking with Tad Williams. His new book is The Dirty Streets of Heaven. Thank you for joining me, Tad. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.